Christ Jesus is the solid rock. We stand upon the person and the finished work and the sure return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we want to hear from Him this morning. So let me invite you to open up God's Word with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, as we continue our our message series today. Uh, We return to the seven letters that Jesus uh, gave, that He Uh, recorded in the book of Revelation, and we do so, church, I hope, with a desire to hear from Him. In other words, we we come not simply to have a lesson in history. We don't come simply for theological information as important as that is. We come because we want to hear from the living God. We want to be shaped by Him. We want to know Him more. Remember that these seven letters were situational meaning they were written to real churches with real people in in real time, but the principles that they communicate are timeless. In other words, one of the things that we see as we read multiple letters to specific churches is that no two churches are just alike, but together they convey seven fundamental disciplines that characterize a healthy church. So, so far in this series, we've seen that Healthy churches are loving, the letter to Ephesus. Healthy churches are courageous, the letter to Smyrna. They're faithful, the letter to Pergamum. And today we see that they are also holy. They're set apart. They're distinct. They are devoted to Jesus Christ. And so let's hear from him. Let's hear his message to the church this morning. As you find your place in Revelation chapter 2, I invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Revelation 2, beginning in verse 18, Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's bow together. Father, this morning we are here to hear from you. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear the message that you have for us, your people today. So Lord, guide us by the presence and power of your Spirit through your word, help us to hear. Help us to hear from you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
The church may be seated. Well, if you've been paying attention or if you've glanced down and read this portion of God's word, then you notice that every one of these seven letters begins with a description of Jesus. A description that's rooted in the vision that John sees and records in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 and following. And one of the repeated themes in each of the seven letters is that Jesus knows us. He knows us. Chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus says, I know your deeds. Chapter 2, verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Verse 13, I know where you live. And now verse 19, I know your deeds. There is nothing about us that escapes our Lord. He knows us. He knows all about us. Not just what we do, but also our inward desires and motivations. The Son of God searches hearts and minds. He searches hearts and minds. But he tells us this clearly in verse 23. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. But also portrayed here in verse 18. With eyes like blazing fire, his vision penetrates. Author Sam Storm says Jesus sees through and beyond every human facade, every evasive tactic, every clever cover-up. In other words, nothing slips by Jesus, for he is the all-knowing God. A clear allusion here in verse 23 to, to God's words, to Yahweh's words through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 reads this way. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Portraying the same truth, the psalmist cries out in Psalm 7, verse 9, to the Lord, bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. Friends, Jesus probes minds and hearts, searching, evaluating, judging. He is looking for fruitfulness. Jesus is looking for fruitfulness. He says in verse 19, I I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at, at first. This is good news. Unlike the church at Ephesus, this one is known for its love. They are friendly, no doubt. Perhaps their website even notes that they are welcoming and affirming. And a church that participates in weekly community service projects, they are engaged and they are doing, loving, and serving in the name of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. See, if you took your car in for a tune-up and the mechanic looked at the whole vehicle and then came back to give you a report and said your tires are in good shape, your, your brakes seem to be functioning well, your belts still have a lot of life left, your windshield wipers even look like New. Really, everything is good except you need a new engine. You would quickly forget all the good reports because the bad report is really bad. It's big, it's costly, it's central. It'd be like going to the doctor for your annual physical and receiving a report back. The doctor saying, You are in picture perfect health except for the tumor that's now growing in your lungs. Jesus says to 
First Baptist of Thyatira, you are bearing some fruit, but you are playing with fire. You are showing some signs of cancer, the cancer of compromise. Jesus is looking for fruitfulness, and he is also looking for faithfulness. Jesus is looking for faithfulness. See, the truth is, you can bear some fruit without being faithful. You can engage in ministry for the wrong motivation. You can serve the poor to feel good about yourself. You can practice love and forgiveness without mentioning the way of salvation. You can promote peace without embracing the Prince of Peace. You can do a lot of good things. And you can do them in the name of Jesus. But if you don't do them out of love for and devotion to Christ, then you are probably practicing idolatry. Idolatry threatens the church in every generation. Threatens the church in every generation. Jesus says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Any first century believer who knew the scriptures knew of of Jezebel. In fact, I encourage you to go home and spend some time in God's Word to go to 1 Kings chapter 16, the end of that chapter, and read that chapter and the chapters that follow. Read about evil King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. I dare say this stuff rivals anything that Hollywood can produce. Jezebel was a wicked woman who sought to abuse power to destroy God's prophets and to promote the worship of false gods, particularly the worship of Baal and Asherah. She protected and praised pagan prophets, attempting to merge the worship of Yahweh and the worship of idols. She practiced the cult of self, meaning whatever feels right to me, whatever benefits me. And the same thing was happening in Thyatira, a city known for producing metals and fabrics, a commercial center with numerous trade guilds or economic associations that celebrated pagan patron gods with festivals involving food sacrificed to idols and the public practice of immorality. And according to the scriptures, believers there were compromising a singular devotion to to Jesus Christ by participating in idolatry, perhaps for pleasure, but probably for, for public popularity and economic gain. In other words, they didn't want to see the business suffer, and so they were willing to compromise in this area. They wanted to see the income continue to come in. The issue wasn't just individual participation, but also church toleration. The failure to exercise church discipline, a failure to hold fellow believers accountable, a failure on the church's part to preach and to practice the truth. A reminder that the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. You cannot follow Jesus faithfully without a commitment to His church. The Scriptures don't address individual isolated believers. They address communities of faith. You cannot worship Christ alone, but we must worship Christ alone. He alone is God, the one whose feet are like burnished bronze, able to crush His enemies. He does not share His throne with idols. The giving of the, the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments... God has delivered His people out of bondage and slavery and He speaks to them through through Moses and He establishes the terms of the covenant, the terms of the relationship that they are to have with Him. And we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before Me. Jesus seemed to be reiterating that same 
truth when he was asked about the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You see, the cult of self and the worship of Baal is still quite common today. It still threatens the church today. It just appears to take on a different form. Eugene Peterson writes, Baal religion is about what makes you feel good. Baal worship is a total immersion in what I can get out of it. I'll give you a childish example from Adventures of the Jones household this past week. My oldest and my middle, my seven-year-old, my four-year-old, Kinsley and Paxton, are sitting at the kitchen uh, table drawing a rare but welcome occasion of harmony in the home these days. My oldest, Kinsley, is finishing up a beautiful portrait. She's drawn a basketball goal, and she's writing at the bottom some reasons why she would like to give that sport a try this year. And her younger brother, Paxton, who's four, who's just literate enough right now to recognize letters and to read his own name, glances over and he protests. He says, Kinsley, you didn't write my name. And with a matter-of-fact voice that God only gives to big sisters, she responds, because it's not about you. (laughs) And she continues on her way. Sometimes we need to hear it's not about us. You see, the cult of self is quite popular today, and not just among our children. Perhaps the defining mantra of our day, and it even holds great sway in the church. Idolatry is not simply a thing of the past. It is a danger of the present. And I want to mention three popular forms that it takes today. First is spiritual pluralism. Christ condemns spiritual pluralism as idolatry. What is spiritual pluralism? It's the message that anything goes. As long as you believe in something and it works for you, it is the mantra of Oprah. It is a Jesus-less God, a vague, unobtrusive religion that preaches love and tolerance and embraces multiple paths. It is pop spirituality calling you to live your best life. It says be true to yourself. Find yourself. Your feelings determine your truth. Love wins. It's heavy on good works while clinging to a distorted view of saving grace. Combining personal feelings with consumerism, it pushes the cross to the side and so Christ condemns it because it fails to take the gospel seriously and to serve the Savior solely. Friends, if if we are to remain faithful to Jesus Christ in our day, in our time, then we must recognize and reject spiritual pluralism as a tool of Satan himself. And we must reject the equally popular notion of self-help spirituality. Christ condemns spiritual pluralism and Christ condemns self-help spirituality as idolatry. Self-help spirituality is God plus me. Together, God and I can accomplish great things. In fact, God is simply waiting on me to use common sense and to work hard and to believe in Him so I can be healthy, happy, wealthy, and whole. God wants this for me, and now it's all up to me. This is the mantra of Osteen and the prosperity gospel. 
It is running rampant in our day. It is a form of legalism claiming Jesus yet disregarding his word. An invitation to live your best life now. Self-help spirituality says, help yourself. God wants you to be rich. Believe in yourself. But like Jezebel and like Oprah, it is an invitation to idolatry that appeals to us sinners. Lured by the cult of self. Whatever feels right and good. Whatever seems to benefit me. Friends, Jesus Christ condemns it because the moment we go down either of those two roads, we have replaced Jesus with something else. And we're practicing idolatry. And still yet, other times, idolatry comes in a more orthodox package. It isn't the lure of false teaching or the subtle shift away from the centrality of the cross. Other times, it's an issue simply of first love. Perhaps this wasn't the primary guise of the cult of self in AD 95, but it is quite common in 2018. What rivals your love for Jesus? What rivals your love for Jesus? What is it that threatens Christ's place of primary significance in your life? What otherwise good thing, when left unchecked, begins to squeeze out your commitment to Jesus and His church? This one's for you to fill in the blank. For me to fill in the blank. Christ condemns an excessive preoccupation with what? As idolatry. Friend, what needs to go in your blank? What has the tendency to become the greatest thing to you? The tendency to become a preoccupation of yours. You say define excessive. Here's how I would define it. For the Christian, excessive is anything we regularly choose over Christ and his bride. Anything that we regularly choose over Christ and His bride, it may be a comfort. Sleeping in. Constant vacations. It may be a form of success. Your career, your quota, your little league travel ball, your grades, your child's grades. It may be a pleasure. Personal time, television, social media, college football, the outdoors. What needs to go in your blank and my blank is a reminder and a warning that Christ Jesus condemns an excessive preoccupation with anything other than Him. See, the cult of self takes many idolatrous forms, threatening the church in every generation. Thus, we need to hear our Lord's words. We need to heed the warning and repent wherever we have chosen some sin over our Savior. Repent wherever you have chosen sin over the Savior. I don't want to pretend to know your hearts this morning. I don't. Jesus does. And I dare say that there certainly may be a few exceptions, but this is one area where the vast majority of us probably need to repent. When we choose sin, whether outright rebellion against God or simply the elevation of something on an equal plane with God, we are rejecting the Savior, cheapening God's grace and living like the world, following the ways of the world, committing adultery with false gods and acting as spiritual offspring of the devil. And Christ Jesus says, repent. He says, repent. Judgment is coming. Jezebel and all her representatives will be destroyed and those who succumb to her ways will also be destroyed unless they repent and turn to me. 
so unbeliever. Unbeliever. Repent and turn to Christ. Stop running after false gods and embrace the Savior. Embrace Jesus Christ today. Trust Him with your life today. Serve Him all your days. Sacrifice sin and self and follow the Almighty Son of God who gave His life away for you. Choose the Savior. And believers, believers, when you wander from wholehearted devotion to the King as we are all so prone to do, when we dabble in idolatry and immorality, when we become consumed with self-comfort or personal success or the pursuit of pleasure, let's be quick to repent and worship Jesus Christ again as the Lord. For Christ rewards those who worship Him alone. He rewards those who worship Him alone. He says, verse 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Those who are faithful to Jesus are the ones who are victorious. And those who are faithful to Jesus until His return will reign with Him forever. Not simply given entrance into His kingdom, but given positions of responsibility. We will serve Christ the King and will enjoy serving Him because those who truly know and trust Him find joy and delight and satisfaction in Him. And concerning the faithful, Jesus says, I will also give that one the morning star. Verse 28. The morning star. The morning star for the faithful in Thyatira is the same one as the hidden manna for the faithful in Pergamum. We will get Jesus. That's what that means. Jesus is the bright morning star. Friend, if you don't love Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. You don't know the kindness. You've not experienced the kindness of God displayed through the cross of Calvary. For it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Friend, do you know the kindness of God? Have you experienced the abundant grace and mercy of God? Freedom and forgiveness from your sin. Friend, do you know the grace of God? Have you responded to the glorious news that the one with eyes like blazing fire and feet like burnished bronze, the one who is described as the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of all life, humbled himself and took on human flesh. He entered into the very world whose inhabitants repeatedly rejected and denied him, all in order to give his life away in a most brutal and humiliating way, so that, and don't miss the so that, God could remain just, punishing sin, and yet at the very same time pour out abundant grace on every single sinner who turns and trusts in him. Friends, reject the cult of self and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Receive the grace of Christ. Grace is undeserved. This is the mercy of God. Forgiveness of sins. Abundant life. The restored relationship with your Maker and life everlasting with Him. The grace of the Gospel is a gift to be received. Freely offered to whosoever believes. But it must be received. It isn't automatically applied. For without the blood of the Lamb applied to us in faith, we rightly remain condemned by our sin. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous. No one. 
level the playing field real fast. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Okay, so we've missed the point. He summarizes what he means for us in verse 23 of the same chapter. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we've missed the mark. We've not lived the life that God expects and requires of us because He's perfect and holy and righteous and eternal and good. And yet, even so, the good news, verse 24, and all are justified freely, declared righteous, considered innocent, with the innocence of of Jesus Christ, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed? Have you been justified freely by the grace of God through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus? Are you a servant of the King? Are you a child of the Most High God, forgiven of your sins, reconciled to your Maker? Is Jesus Lord to you? Is Jesus clearly the Lord of your life? Or do you need to repent of idolatry? Christ says repent. Repent before I return. Reject the cult of self and receive my grace. What is the cult of self? It takes numerous forms. It is always a self-indulgent, self-serving religion. And any self-indulgent, self-serving religion totally misses Christ. Self-indulgent, self-serving religion where it's all about me, my pursuit, and my gain totally misses Christ. The person and the life and the ministry and the grace of of Jesus Christ. Don't miss Christ because you were consumed with yourself. Jesus doesn't come saying, you did it. Good for you. Nor does Jesus come saying, together we can do this. No, he comes saying, I've come to rescue you. I've come to save you. I've come to do for you what you can never do on your own. Though you don't deserve it, I've come to give my life for you so that you can have my life and eternal life in and with me forever. And who appears to be on the throne of your heart? Who are you trusting? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Have you stepped aside and surrendered to Christ? Are you simply practicing a self serving religion that misses Christ. Don't miss Christ for for an eternity because you missed Him here. Step aside. Welcome the King. Receive His grace. Reign with Him forever. Father, we bow before You again this morning to acknowledge that there is no one like You. Lord, that You are high. That You are eternal. That You are the One who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the giver of all life. The sustainer of all life. The ruler over all life. And yet you were also the one who redeems life through the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Lord, we thank you today for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your word that calls us to repent where we are in error. Lord, may we Heed your voice. May the Spirit convict us where we are wrong, that we might confess our sin and find you faithful and just and merciful once again, forgiving us and drawing us close to you. 
Lord, we desire to know you and to know that we are right with you and to serve you forever. Lead us to that end. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.